My name is Jeff Harbach. I'm the CEO of Coffin Fellows and the host of the Coffin Fellows podcast. This season, our podcast is produced in partnership with Mighty Capital and features different Coffin Fellows as co-hosts. In this podcast, we dive deep into the personal narratives of some of the most successful names in the venture capital industry, but we're not here just to explore their highlight reels, however impressive they are. From failures and formative learning experiences to inflection points and aha moments, we discuss the real, authentic journeys that each individual goes through to become the best version of themselves in order to best serve the entrepreneurs they invest in. Covering various themes in venture capital investing, we speak with the world's top leaders in capital formation, all from a place of authenticity and vulnerability. Together, we'll unravel what truly makes a great venture capital investor. Now let's meet today's host and their guest. Hi, I'm Rokas Pichelaitis, founder of Contrarian Ventures, and I'm excited to host this series on the journey to net zero. Let's hear from my guest today. Hi, Christian. Uh, welcome to Calvin Fellows Podcast. It's great to have you today, and thanks for taking the time to share your journey with the broader community. Hey, Rockers. Thank you very much for the invitation. I've been looking forward to it. Now, amazing. Uh, so let's get on to it. I think for starts, let's walk through your background and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so this journey basically started back when I um, left university. So I was studying in, in London, uh, Alternative Investments, uh, just when GFC hit. And uh, by coincidence, I was approached by my former statistical professor and uh, teacher who remembered I was good at maths. And uh, he asked me whether I wanted to join a healthcare company. And at that point in time, I actually thought that I was going into investing. Yeah. But uh, decided that was actually a pretty good opportunity because I could get into a industrial B2B company that would both give me the opportunity to work for a number of McKinsey partners, but also some really strong operators who would apply the private equity principles. So healthcare, what what was the reasoning for starts? Uh, obviously, that's um, something that really, you know, it's a very difficult problems to solve there in a the business, especially going to corporate world. Yeah, there was actually two things that attracted me a lot. So the learning opportunity. So my curiosity drove me basically to get that toolbox and learn and bring the company to a new level. But even more importantly, that healthcare, that's an opportunity to really have a big contribution and impact in the world. And, um, and throughout that almost decade that I spent with this uh, healthcare company, where we were starting to build and lay the foundation to create the first direct to consumer digital healthcare company in the world, I uh, also on the side, basically with a number of people uh, that I had been studying with, invented a novel technology within malaria. So yeah. we, we found a way to basically diagnose malaria much cheaper and faster. And that made me basically aware of the fact that now we have a top three problem in the world that you can actually solve with a technology. And that opened my eyes to thinking, okay, I'm at this healthcare company where I have a narrow healthcare population. where I'm doing great stuff. I got letters from patients on new products we developed that they could get back to life. That was really rewarding. But now, you know, I could see that if you could find a way to use technology to solve a really big problem, you could have a huge impact. And that was basically one of the key things that took away from healthcare, where you can you have a massive impact. It also takes time to develop products. You know, pharmaceutical products takes almost 15 years. Yeah. Luckily, COVID-19 has showed us something different. But I think that was one of the key things that I learned from that journey uh, almost a decade in healthcare. Fascinating. So next one up to you're starting to see first signs that you're touching the urban world. How did that start it? Yeah, it actually started when 
I was, I was at this healthcare company and thought, okay, I wanted to have bigger impact. And that led me to think, okay, how can I get that? And I started having some conversations with my mentor who built one of the large private equity shops in Europe. And, and he told me, you should look at the built environment. And initially I, I thought, okay, that's bright margins, very complex value chain. It's very conservative industry. What can you change? But when I then started to go in deep really on the, on the data uh, on it, then you would see that 90% of our time is spent in buildings. It's a huge polluter. Um, just in cities, we have 70% of all CO2 concentrated. In Europe, it represents 35% of all waste um, just coming from construction. Productivity has been declining the last 50 years. So this is a massive, massive industry and, and asset class in the world that you could basically touch and then try to make an impact. And, and throughout that uh, conversation, I got introduced to a company that basically was undergoing a transformation and where I could lead both a commercial effort, but also push the digital agenda and the sustainability agenda. And that led me to basically help the company transform uh, their strategy to be based on the 17 UNSGs and really opened my eyes to the sustainability footprint that that you could have through those uh, 17 SDGs. But secondly, also spent half a year with technology in, in the States where we basically mapped out the new technologies coming into the urban environment. And that was really, really rewarding because I started then coming back to the thing of having you know a way of impacting the world using technology and having a massive problem. Yep. So, so that was, that was a really, you know, rewarding experience. So you were, you were doing that internally from a corporate standpoint. Uh, when was this kind of push when you realized there is an opportunity to launch a firm and a fund to target that? Yeah, that actually came through another effort because I was, um, I was lucky to be asked by that company, uh, that was uh, partly family owned, partly stock listed. And then three other large incumbents uh, that were massive global companies to basically chair their climate organization and energy efficiency organization, where we worked with the uh, European Commission, but also first and foremost, the Danish government on increasing their energy and climate ambitions. And, um, and that put me in contact with a number of people. So, so two really made the difference. One was a pension fund. That was leading yep. the effort on basically transforming their liquid positions into becoming more responsible in terms of investing. And, uh, and secondly, uh, an ex-McKinsey consulting company that tried to map out if you wanted to invest into, the, into different industries and then imagine that you basically have different industries on one, one axis, then on the other axis, if you would invest $1, how would you get most bang for the buck in terms of CO2 reduction? And yeah. fundamentally solve the, the climate challenges that we are facing. So that and, was uh, the formation of 2150 as part of the thesis, right? That, that was leading up to it because then I was coming back to the fact that, you know, I had been an industrial B2B operator for more than a decade. Uh, I had been trying to tackle really big problems, but I was lacking a platform where I could put sustainability, technology and investments into one. And I was then in London at a construction technology conference and was actually offered a job in VC, but said no, and was lucky to be introduced to uh, the co-founder of NREP, uh, Mickey Bulo, who uh, basically had some conversations with another, a number of other people. And we started discussing how could we put these three things into one platform. And then basically that led to the co-founding of 2150. Amazing. 
So 2150, you're a thesis-driven VC firm. You're focusing on companies that are innovating in what you call urban stack. Uh, why did you pick this particular thesis when you started? And what do you see an opportunity there? Could you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, so, so what we define as the urban stack is basically four layers which are interconnected and interdependent, which is probably important to clarify. So that is from the bottom, basically the enabling layer, sort of materials, the infrastructure that enables a city to exist, the urban environment to exist, to the build layer on how you design, construct and up plan and then use robotics to uh, make buildings or infrastructure, to the operating layer on how you use facility management, IoT devices, uh, move goods in and out of cities with logistics, to the fourth layer of the experience layer. So when you have people in, in the urban environment, how do you make sure they stay there in a healthy and safe way? And the reason why we basically came up with this vertical was the fact that when we look at it, there's, there's, a, there's three ways you can basically transform the world in the future to make it more sustainable. You can change the petrochemical uh, industrial sites. You can find a way to attack food with proteins, how you get that into human beings. Mm -hmm. And then you have the massive uh, CO2, which is stored in our urban environment, which is 70%. And, and we really, everyone around the table, were excited about the fact that if you tackle that vertical, then you can truly make a difference and make the year of 2150 much more prosper. There's also probably a clear story behind 2150 as a name as a firm. Uh, could, you, could you tell that and share with us? Yeah, it's, you're not the first one to ask because it's a very different name, but we are, we are, we are falling in love with it and, and did very early on. But fundamentally, it describes two things. So both our legacy, but also our ambition. So, mm -hmm. so the legacy is the fact that this idea um, basically was invented uh, in the postly code 2150 of Copenhagen, which is a new urban area that one of our backers have developed, where we also have our office which is basically a, a totally new area where we are trying, they've tried to design a new city. Within the city. A city within the city. Exactly. And, and the key thing here was that we discussed this, when you do a new city, then you don't change that for 50 to 100 years. So it's fundamentally so important that you think long-term. And, and that was really one of the key things that led us to, to uh, also found 2150 that we really wanted to be long-term investors. And then the second thing was that we, we thought of, you know, 2050, that's great. And everyone is setting that sort of zero ambitions and so on, but we really wanted to find a way to, to look much further ahead. And we asked on Twitter, basically our families and friends, whether they would believe that our grandchildren would be alive in the year 2150, where we would have an impact. And as I recall right now, it's more than 61% that actually responded that that would be uh, true, and that's at least what they would believe. So, uh, so we thought this is a, you know, a, a truly strong name because it also describes our ambition. So you call 2150 a platform uh, as you're trying to really partner with leading entrepreneurs, technologists, researchers, and policy influencers. Could you expand on your platform uniqueness to any other VC firm out there? Surely, you know, having a city within the city that is being on, you know, ideally powered by technology that is already an infrastructure angle. Is there anything else that you do differently to other firms? Yeah. So um, when we started this out, we also thought, okay, for us, it's pretty important that we have a value add as an investor. 
And, and we fundamentally believe that you need to have an edge as an investor, otherwise you don't make a difference. So the reason why we call it a platform is that we want to engage actively more with, with the companies that we invest into than some other VCs we see are doing out there. And I guess everyone is claiming that they are engaged. But we have, what we have specifically designed is that we have a large part of our LP base, our strategic investors, who are engaged in the uh, built environment and the urban stack, meaning that they are able to very fast, both before due diligence, but also throughout the lifetime of the company, provide product market fit and also create the demand. And that means for us that we have a platform where we can actively engage much more with the entrepreneurs uh, early on, but also throughout uh, the period where we engage with them. And then I would say, secondly, one of the key competencies that we are uh, building out, uh, where we also help our entrepreneurs and what we dedicate as our platform is our sustainability focus, where we fundamentally overinvest in helping the entrepreneurs build out their sustainable footprint and strategy in their company. So your firm is calling for a sustainable approach to venture itself. You know, you call that constructive capital. Could you elaborate a bit more on that, what it means? Yeah, I think very simple for, for us, you know, it's just more that, than being passive money on the balance sheet. Mm. Um, so we are an active investor and um, probably the best way to exemplify this also taking into account the platform where we talk about is constructive. It's something that really adds the value. Is we, for example, invested, uh, the first investment we did it was in a Canadian company called Carbon Cure, which yeah. addresses concrete technology and the largest uh, CO2 category we have in the world, concrete, which is 8%. And, um, and, and one of the key things we did very early on to prove to Cure that we could provide constructive capital on the cap table mm -hmm. was to make introductions for them in the, in the uh, industry so they could generate demand. And, and one of the things we did was not just basically make an introduction to a client, but what we sat down was we, we basically sat down with a real estate developer, a contractor, and a concrete manufacturer, and then Cure. So many parties at the table and then became the facilitator and thereby creating supply chain disruption and innovation. And I think that is a good example of how we basically overinvest in becoming not just an investor, but also a facilitator and thereby providing entrepreneurs with constructive capital. So basically that's a win-win-win situation between you entrepreneur and the corporate. You could, you could say that. Yeah. So I think you specifically are quite vocal about, you know, when it comes to measuring impact, you know, you call it for a giga, gigacorn instead of a unicorn as the next measure for the next years to come. Any specific process or as part of due diligence or post-investment would you like to share that you do at 2150? Yeah, so, so for us, it's an integrated part of from whenever we define basically, uh, as you said, we are thesis driven, the 16 current topics that we're working on right now within the urban stack uh, to when we basically do an exit of a company. And I would say, so for us, there's, there's a number of things that we do both in the initial review before we go into a term sheet with the company, but also DD. And I would like to really emphasize, which I think is different what I've seen currently other uh, actually do out there today is that we also have started really focusing on evaluating our co-investors. So the other uh, VCs that we typically syndicate with, we are going to do due diligence on them, also making sure that they actually believe in the same sustainable strategy of the company 
and they fundamentally also have a sustainable approach in their way of investing. And I think that's one thing that basically differs from what a lot of other VCs are doing out there today, where I, I basically see that most VCs are focusing on you know, good governance, uh, carbon accounting, making sure your carbon footprint is offset. But for yeah. us, this is a philosophy. It's part of our DNA, architecture, and our ethos. So you're a young firm. So how, how do you see that evolve? I know that you're really pushing the boundaries of how a venture firm is constructed, right? You have head of platform. You're actually taking a lot of time to really rethink the process of how you measure carbon footprint. How do you see that evolve going forward as a firm? Yeah, we are very uh, young. We just uh, made our first closing here in, in February and then closing the fund uh, by uh, by end of 2021. And um, I would say we have obviously laid out what we call the 2150 uh, expedition, which mm -hmm. is an internal document describing where we want to be. And um, I think we are we're gonna you know follow that plan that we have, which I can't talk about in details, obviously. But the thing here that I, I actually think will impact us is how the surroundings and the externalities will also change. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are moving from a state where it, before, you know, we talked about human beings adapt, adapting to the environment and the climate around us. That, that philosophy is gone. You know, now we're talking about how can we fast enough solve this because we know that human beings cannot adapt. We are seeing fires like ever before. Uh, yeah. People are starving, people are dying from different things. You know, COVID-19 was very, very, you know, simple. If you ask me, it was one of the big uh, challenges that we had for the first time across, you know, every continent and every country in the world. But politicians could just say, you know, stay home, put on a mask, wait for the vaccine. Yeah. Obviously, uh, a lot of countries now I'm dialing it from, from Denmark are not in the same situation. You know, we're pretty lucky to be in this country and a lot of other countries are very unfortunate still. But I think looking at the mobilization that we need to do now to solve our climate challenges is, is, is massive. You know, it's going to be the largest mobilization since World War II. And it's going to be more complex because it's across cultures, across continents. And we need to invent, you know, 50% new technologies to make this happen. So I think that will, that all of these things will definitely impact our strategy as well. So we, we might have a thought way of how we want to do it and, and also set up a platform, but I think that's going to evolve also over time as we see these externalities uh, impact us. So why does getting to net zero or net negative matters for you on a personal level? Is there any backstory to it? Obviously you started in healthcare, one of the most complex issues now went into urban and, and kind of became an advocate in climate tech. Is there a personal reasoning to it? You know, it's funny because I was actually, I, I grew up in a small um, suburban city in, uh, in, in the western part of, of Denmark, not in the capital where I'm uh, located today, which is, by the way, hopefully going to be the first carbon neutral uh, capital in the world in 2025, yeah. working hard on that. The most um, ambitious target, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I just, I just love nature. I've, I spend a lot of time in, in nature and um, the last uh, 10 years been doing uh, trail runs in the Scottish mountains and the Alps and so on. And, and for me, this is about giving uh, my grandchildren and my own children the same experience of our amazing earth. And that's also why I've engaged myself in um, a, a very, um, 
amazing organization called the Foundation for Climate Restoration. Mm-hmm. And I think the word climate restoration is, is an upcoming word that we haven't discussed very much within either VC or the climate um, community. But this is actually basically restoring our nature back uh, to where we wanted it to be, which is going to be really, really hard, but we need to do an effort. And that's why necessary matters for me. Nice. And what is, in your opinion, the most challenging part of this whole journey to net zero, net negative? Obviously, we do, as VCs probably believe in technology changing that. But do you think there's anything else that is missing, including that maybe not enough funding? We're, we're probably both our emerging managers, right? So mm-hmm. we're, we're looking from a different angle as well to it. But anything specific do you want to mention or touch? I, I think it's very interesting um, because, you know, it's not the lack of policies anymore after COVID-19. You know, we see the Green New Deal. We see the infrastructure package from Joe Biden, which is also sustainability focused, re-entering Paris Agreement. So it's, it's, not, it's not politicians, which are the problem anymore, if you can say it like that. It is not human beings' awareness or, or uh, their desire to actually change this. You see those uh, elderly generations, but also, as I've been you know, discussing with a number of uh, environmental scientists recently, you know, and my own kids, I feel that they are born with like, sustainability as part of the DNA. It's not, it's not the capital anymore. You know, it, there's, a, there's just, as I see the complexity of mobilizing within the next seven years, you have the climate clock ticking in, in New York City which basically shows us what we have left. I think the mobilization uh, is, is the biggest challenge that we have in bottleneck that we need to find a way to, to manage. Do you think technology is part of that mobilization enabling tool to make it faster? Uh, I mean, COVID was one example that you did, and obviously you worked in health tech, healthcare sector for quite a while. Do you think uh, technology is that missing holy grail to solve it? Um, I, 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 there's very few things in the world where I believe there's a holy grail and that we can achieve yeah. that. But fundamentally, I, if you, if you decompose mobilization, uh, then a part of that is actually that we have a time constraint as mentioned. And, and I think the good thing about technology is that you can exponentially scale it. So when we look back the last 10, 20 years, consumer tech has been great for us in many ways. It's created more efficiency you know we're not sitting in the same room where you can do a podcast it's yeah. changed the way we we order pizzas the way we book a taxi like simple things as well and and i think now uh, venture capital and and technology is suddenly trying to really tackle serious problems with that uh, which are burning platforms for for the human population and and i think the good thing about technology is that it can exponentially scale and the only way we can break time constraint is by doing something exponentially because otherwise we won't be able to to make it in time and therefore i think technology plays a really big role and obviously the fact that we now have communications you know across continents we can also much faster use artificial intelligence to maybe measure our carbon footprint these sorts of things are definitely going to help us along the way and and coming back to the sort of urban stack Obviously, there's there's a bunch of different numbers, but sort of constituted that probably something 70 to 80% of all the CO2 emissions actually happen within urban environments and within the cities. Uh, do you see anything specifically that is a, really a bit bottleneck to reshape the urban environment? 
whether that's technology or policy that is lacking? That's a really good question. I would say that um, when you look to, um, so again, you know, I don't think capital or policies are lacking mm. any anymore. Right now, it's just going to be great that, you know, we can get over COVID-19 and get on the other side because there's a number of changes that, you know, need to happen as well, where people need to dedicate time and focus uh, for this, this to really happen on, on climate as well, which has been, you can say, neglected because of another more important short-term crisis. So when you look to the urban stack, uh, I, would, I would still say it's a complexity between the fact that you have politicians, taxpayers, and people residing in, in the urban area. And, and there's obviously some principal conflicts between those that, that might short-term create some, some problems. But I think there, the, you know, if you get to the meta level, those should be solvable. And, and I'm pretty sure that we, we will fix that. So, so I'm quite positive that, you know, the urban stack will, will move and adapt to, to those new solutions coming out. Nice. You know, you, you kind of sh shape from your career through different backgrounds and different industries. I think now you spend quite a few years building your own firm as a co-founder and obviously VC is a super long-term game, but what do you see from your experience? What makes a great VC investor in your personal opinion? Yeah, obviously I, I'm probably much better positioned to, um, to answer that question in 10 years from now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I think fundamentally, um, and I actually think venture capital will have is probably most relevant decade because of, you know, becoming a catalyst and then now being able to solve like true problems that matter for human civilization. But I, I think a great visa investor is really one that helps the entrepreneurs become better to spend time coaching them, uh, developing them as, 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 uh, as people and thereby developing the business and then with the end goal of achieving their dreams. Um, so, so I think about this more as a, a facilitation role uh, together with an investor role. What advice do you have for our audience of VC investors, innovators and LPs? I know you joined Calvin Fellows program recently, so congrats on that. That's super exciting. <laughs> Given Thanks. that we're doing this internally, Kaufman, so super excited to have you here. But what's your advice to people out there? I think it's um, it's it's trying to uh, fast forward uh, ten years and then really reflect upon what you're doing now. If you're engaged in in, in either uh, allocating capital starting a business or, or investing into companies, whether it's venture or private equity or what it is, then fundamentally look yourself in the mirror and ask, okay, would you be proud of those companies that I've you've invested into? Some of them probably haven't succeeded. Some of them would have really scaled and made a difference. But, uh, but really ask yourself that question because we, uh, we have scarcity suddenly for the first time, I think in a in hundred years. Um, on, a, on a number of things in the world. And, um, and if we don't solve those problems uh, and, and solve that scarcity problem, then, uh, then, then the, different, the world will be a very different place and we won't have the uh, enjoyment uh, that we are having today. So Christian, you're a busy man. You're starting up a new firm in a super challenging environment. There's so many problems. How do you stay sharp? What books, podcasts, blogs inspire you? What do you do? Workout? What what keeps you focused? 
Yeah, so obviously I also have three small kids, um, and, uh, and and that's taking some definitely helps time. to motivate you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it, it helps on motivation, but also sometimes when when you tug in and you spend those ten minutes just waiting for them to sleep, you both you know stare at them and and, and become really you know uh, happy, but but secondly also have time actually for reflecting about your yeah. day and what you're doing. But otherwise, I, I spend most of my time reflecting either in nature, we, we live close by the sea and, and the forest, but also do sports uh, whenever that's possible uh, with my setup. And, uh, and one of the, the, the podcasts I, I really enjoy, you know, um, listening into is, for example, the exponential uh, view um, on, on HPR with a CMSR. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's great. So, so that's one, one thing, but I tend to have multiple sources uh, of inspiration when you when you deal with the open stack it's such a broad category and I tend also to to have uh, a lot of inspiration from the people just close to me uh, who are developing first-hand knowledge uh, so so that's very rewarding oh, amazing so th thanks a lot for the time this is it's been a really really cool chat uh, and I think it's really amazing things that you're building as part of 2150 so thanks a lot for spending the time sharing with us with the community Thank you very much for inviting me, Ruckus. That's a wrap. Tune in next week for another candid conversation on what makes a great VC investor with your host, the Kaufman Fellows.